I forgot to test it this morning, and when I reached down just now, I discovered it was on, which means it's been on for a week. <laughs> I suspect Shane's going to come out here and fix it for me. Our gospel lesson for today is from Luke, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13. Listen now for God's word. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we, for we forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door is locked, my children are in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And so I, ask, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is any one of you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. I resemble that remark. <laughs> um, I move my hands around a lot, so it's going to be hard for me to always hold this thing still. Why are you here? It's a pretty summer Sunday. You could be fishing, right? You could be out on a lake. You could be taking a drive. You could be preparing vacation. You could be home in bed asleep. So... Why are you here? Well, I'm going to make sort of a fatal premise this morning, and I'm going to assume, you know how dangerous assuming is, but I assume you're here because somehow or another you expect something to happen being here. Now, those expectations could be all over the boards. Maybe, maybe you're one of those folks that don't expect much. But on the other hand, perhaps you're one of those people who believe that here in this place there is at least the opportunity for God to say things to us that maybe God hasn't said before or maybe I've not heard before. So while we're here for lots of different reasons, my sense is, is that we gather in this place week after week and worship because we have expectations. 
Now, it seems to me that it would be inconceivable that we would come to worship in a place where we're supposed to meet God and then fail to talk to God. And so worship is filled with prayer. Um, and, you know, it's not just the number of songs about prayer we sang this morning, and we'll continue to sing as this worship service comes to a close, but the entire service is filled with times of prayer. There is confession. There is prayers of praise and thanksgiving. There are times when we ask God to do something special or specific for someone we love. There are lots and lots of ways and acts of praise that prayer includes. We had a lot of time spent talking about prayer back when we did our Unbinding series. And as we came to summer, I thought this would be a good time to try to build a series on prayer. We've done that before. This is not anything exactly new. But there seemed to be more of a hunger. And so that's what this is an attempt for. And the only thing staff said to me is, make sure that each sermon stands on its own because if you tie them all together, people are going to miss half of it. Because <laughs> I know you're going to be traveling too. That's the way summers are. So we'll see if all this will hang together. It seems clear to me if we have any authorization for prayer, we have it because Jesus and taught the disciples and the Bible itself is filled with prayer, communication, talking, asking, listening to God. Now, I have a suspicion that there's a naturalness to prayer that really transcends that. We'll talk about that in another sermon, but let me just say enough to say that in every religious tradition, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter what culture, there is a tradition of something that resembles prayer. In fact, my suspicion is that there is something that resembles prayer even for those who proclaim there is no God. Again, that's another story. But that becomes sort of the basis here. But we get our authorization from prayer as Christians specifically because the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gathers them together, and he does that. And the very first phrase becomes incredibly important for us our Father. When Jesus wants us to think about praying to God, the first thing He does is say, God is going to behave like a heavenly parent. And not only is God going to behave like a heavenly parent, but God therefore guarantees us the right to talk to Him. The right to come before Him in prayer. Now, there's some stuff built into that kind of a premise. And some of it is that the Heavenly Father loves us and therefore wants us to have communication. And that's really what prayer is. If you don't remember anything else over these next, I don't know, however many weeks, remember that. Prayer is communication with God. That's the core of it. We human beings have some idea of what a good parent is supposed to be like. Now, you've heard me say before, there's no such thing as a perfect human parent. None of us are. You aren't one. You didn't have one. Your children won't be one. 
we're human beings. Human beings are fallible. It's impossible. And yet, what Jesus does is to say that God behaves in a manner that is like the best parent you've ever known, except God is the perfect parent. No longer the imperfection we all know. As St. Augustine reminds us, God loves each one of us as if we were the only one to love. And that's what we expect out of a good earthly parent. And so here in God, we take that to the nth degree. Now, I know today's Father's Day, and I'm not going to wax eloquent on fathers. Because I also know that in our culture, there's somebody in this room, and you know somebody who had a miserable earthly father. Some one of you knows somebody, or perhaps it was yourself, who had an abusive, destructive, vindictive parent. That's life. We know that exists. And so uh, Jesus wants to modify when he says to pray to God as Father. And the modifier he uses is the one that lets us know about this perfection, our Father who is in heaven. And heaven is not intended for us to think of it as this distant place where God is so far away from us. Rather, it is the place of perfection. So our Father who is in heaven. I came across this little piece. It's on a tombstone in Scotland. And it has inscribed on it, besides the name, he was a man. What kind of a man? Think of what a man ought to be. And that was he. Pretty good, huh? At least it gives you the, the push, the idea. So when Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven, he means for us to think about what a perfect parent should be like. So my question, and it's not just to you, because it's a question to me, why is it we are so reluctant at times to pray? Why do we have such a hard time communicating with this parent? Is it because we have a hard time communicating at times with our earthly parent? <laughs> well, could be. But why would we have this difficulty? Maybe it's because God seems so much bigger than us. God seems so distant. We wonder how God can be interested in little old me when there's six billion plus people on this planet and there's been a lot more over the eons that human beings have been around. But the moment we really began to comprehend what Jesus is saying when he says that God is our heavenly parent, our Father. And let me just say, interject something here. If it helps you to think of God as the heavenly parent or even as your heavenly mother, there's not a thing in the world wrong with that. Jesus used the word Father absolutely. But God is a spirit and has no gender. And so if it helps you to think heavenly parent, use that. That's perfectly okay.
But when we picture God in that fashion as the one who knows us, who loves us, who wants the very best for us, that's what a perfect parent becomes. Then we have this guarantee that this, this God, this parent, not only loves us but wants us to come to him. And the second thing it guarantees is that God really will do something with our prayers. We use the word answer them. Back during the Second World War when steel simply wasn't available for the civilian market because everything was going into defense, an article ran in a major newspaper put there by a parent and it said, wanted a child's tricycle. Cost doesn't matter. Now, you understand what's going on. They can't buy a new one. So what the parent has done is put an ad in the newspaper asking to buy somebody's used tricycle that they're not using anymore, and it doesn't matter the cost. That's really the way... That's really the way Jesus wants us to think about God. And you see that is a part of the text. What parent among you, if the child asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And that's intended to sound ridiculous. Jesus means it to sound ridiculous. If you who are evil, and by that Jesus really means if you're you who are so imperfect know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your heavenly parent going to give things to you? And yet we look out upon our world and we live our lives and we engage in prayers at times and we wonder how or if God hears them. Sometimes it feels like we are talking to ourselves. Anybody willing to admit that besides me? Sometimes we struggle with this idea that the God who can create a universe still can not only care about us, but will interfere in the way a universe functions to answer our prayers. We look out on the world and we are people of science. We see the world as being run by all kinds of things we think of as being immutable law. There's a law of gravity and if you climb up there and step off, you will fall. And it doesn't seem to matter whether you're praying not to fall or not. If you purposely step off, you'll break something. We talk about the law of cause and effect. And in a world like that, we sometimes wonder if God has not created a world and then stepped back from it so that our prayers don't have much of effect. And it can shake our confidence in praying. What good does it do to, praise, to pray if natural cause and effect determines everything? If snow is the result of certain atmospheric conditions and temperatures, you can pray all you want to today, but I'm pretty sure you're not going to get snow. 
It just doesn't work like that. If a particular disease is because of a bacteria or a virus or something else like that, and it takes particular medicines to kill those things off and make us well, what good does praying do? And so when we start to think that way and ask those kind of questions, we struggle with whether or not prayer really works. Is God a prisoner in the universe He's created? I mean, that's pretty logical for us. The first thing we have to remember is that prayer is never about getting God to do what we want. You hear that? Prayer is not about getting God to do what you want. Real prayer is about communicating with God so that we can come to understand God's will for us and pray that we can reach that will. One writer has said, we must not conceive of prayer as overcoming God's reluctant reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Alexander Pope reminds us that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And as we look out on our world and we understand through our education this idea of natural law that functions all around us and does not repeal, we wonder how it all works. We know, for example, that a piece of steel, a flat sheet of steel, will not float on water. Last weekend we were away. I told somebody it was the first time in our life we've ever been to Gatlinburg. Isn't that sad? <laughs> we went to the Titanic Museum. And it was kind of interesting. So if steel doesn't float, how does a boat, a ship, that weighs uh, 46,000 tons manage to float? and carry as much weight as it weighs itself. Well, it's because there's another physical law. It's the law of displacement. Concrete will float if it displaces water in the right way. So while we know so much about the way the world works and learn more every day, we don't fully understand this universe we live in. In many cases where natural law seems to prohibit what we want or need or think is right and make us prisoners in our world, there are other laws we don't know. Anybody flown in the last year? You know, for the better part of 10,000 years, human beings couldn't fly until we discovered that this process of airspeed over over a, a, a airspeed over a foil, an airfoil, creates lift. Fly anywhere you want to now. Can't flap your arms and do it yet, but you can fly anywhere you want to. The world that God has created isn't run by cold, immutable law. God created the law. God created what is behind it. 
And so there are no prayers that God cannot answer so long as they're in accordance with divine will. And that's part of what this authorization for prayer is. But it's also a guarantee that God will answer prayers in ways that are best for us. Sometimes we act as if there's only one answer to prayer, and it's when God says yes and we get what we want. And those are wonderful prayers, and I wouldn't want to belittle them. Gosh, I love those kind of prayers, and so do you. But sometimes God, in His great love for us, answers our requests with the word no. And that's a hard one. Does anybody here remember, I'm, I'm sure you will, the old Garth Brooks song, Unanswered Prayer? Anybody remember that? The guy goes to the hometown football game, meets his old first love, the one he wanted to be with back when. And as he stands there and re-meets this person, the refrain becomes, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> and it closes some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Now, I've only got one bone to pick with Garth. He's a pretty good songwriter. And it is, it's not unanswered prayer, buddy. It's God saying no. And sometimes no is the best thing God can say to us. How many times have you in your life thanked God for the no's? I can't say I've done that very much. And maybe it's because I don't have enough hindsight to know. Well, some of our prayers are just as foolish as that. And sometimes our lives would be ruined if those prayers were granted. But then there are times when God says, wait. Sometimes we're just not ready for whatever it is we're asking for. The example that I came up with is we don't teach kindergartners how to drive a car. You've got to wait a little while. And that's true in hundreds of ways that we don't understand. So sometimes we pray and God's answer, and it sounds like no or it sounds like there's not an answer because God doesn't always telegraph those things. And it feels like we're not getting what we are asking for. But in God's good time and in God's good way, we will discover that those prayers are not only being answered, but they're being answered in ways that far exceed our expectations and dreams. And that's pretty wonderful. But this is the hardest one. At least, at least it is for me. Sometimes God's answer to prayer is simply, you're going to have to trust me in this. Sometimes we pray for good, logical, important things that we know are important, all the people around us know are important, and it's not so much a no as it is 
you're just going to have to trust me in this one. Some years ago, a medical mission team went out, husband and wife. They had children on the field. They were in what we would describe as the developing world. And in the midst of that, there was an epidemic. And in spite of immunizations, at least for the, the missionary, he spent time with his people and finally contracted this very virulent disease. And in spite of all the prayers, and as in spite of as important as it was that he survive, he didn't. He succumbs to the disease. He dies. And we want to shake our fist in God's face and say, Why, God? This doesn't make any sense to me. But sometimes the only thing we can do is simply trust because we don't see where the answers are going. His widow wrote back to the United States, and that, in essence, was what she said. She says, I cannot begin to understand why our prayers were not answered. But I know our love and God's love for us as his children is infinitely greater than anything we can imagine. And so in the end, I can only say, we trust. Now, I've already told you that may be the hardest answer. It is for me. How do we trust in the midst of all that? But then there are those words, those opening words to the Lord's Prayer. When we pray to God who is the perfect heavenly parent who loves us more than we love our own children by far and who wants the best for us even when we don't understand it. And sometimes as hard as it is to accept, that really is the very best we can do. I always think about the Apostle Paul in this. Some of you will remember Paul had some sort of an infirmity. We've never known what it was. He refers to it as his thorn in the flesh. And there's been all sorts of speculation, which we don't need to go into. But God's answer to Paul was what I think so often God's answer to us is. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace, says God, is sufficient for all your needs. And sometimes that's simply the best we can do. We have to let go of what we want and take hold of this loving heavenly parent who cares for us no matter what. And that's the end to the first sermon in a prayer series. Amen.